Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And the reality is, if you're six games out with 30 to play and there's five other teams in front of you, then probably you should be selling. Still watching the game be played, it felt like watching a baseball game. It felt like watching a baseball game played in Miami. So, you know. <laughs> we are equal opportunity gold star hander outers around here. We, we're never letting a previous bias factor in, do we? And welcome to episode number 176 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we always try and cram six months' work into eight weeks. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the indomitable Joshua Housen. I don't know. Something makes me think you might have gone with that one before, but so clearly it's true if you've gone to it yeah, twice. Yeah, you cannot be defeated, truly. Uh <laughs> We have a week's worth of Blue Jays news, so we're going to lay it back out for you. We have Vladimir Guerrero crossing the diamond. Uh, we have uh, Travis Shaw putting his foot in his mouth and then putting a mask on his face. Uh, we have a bunch of Blue Jays starters in various con- conditions of repair and disrepair, uh, which has made things slightly more interested during uh, summer camp here. Uh, where are the Blue Jays going to play baseball? We're going to talk about it. Then baseball actually is already on television, even though it's just intra-squad games. We have your questions, and then we have a, uh, a a little bit of news here and there around the league. And, of course, we have a do-over for everyone involved in a Twitter situation, which I think, I mean, that's just a general rule, isn't it, when you're using Twitter? Just uh, it's, start it's, over. <laughs> it's just a safe bet that it's not going to go well. <laughs> and yet, there we are on Twitter. Fools both of us. Well, we never profess to be anything else. That's it. If you if you never raise your reputation to a level where it has any respect, you can't lose any. Exactly. So, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., worst third baseman in the league, which you like to remind me of regularly, is no longer the worst third baseman in the league. So, there. Do I? 
Is that, is that a thing? <laughs> Every time I'm like, that's... well, his defense wasn't that a year. He's horrible. I'm like, oh, fine. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Not, he's gone. He's no longer a, no longer a third baseman. And I, I, I did that come as a surprise to you? Uh, the the timing I think is was surprising because I mean, in my mind, as much as this is a real baseball season, I don't feel like this is a real baseball season. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So I mean, if you're gonna, give him, I think everybody if, would know what you mean. <laughs> if you're gonna give him a, a year to develop or a year to try and figure out whether you you really got any hope of keeping him at third, it seems kind of like this is the year where you just yeah whatever. I, I think it's kind of the opposite of that. I think it's it's uh, you know, like the, if they were going to develop him this year, it's like it was because the chances of of contention were probably lower this year over a full season than they are, mm. and you know, like now that there's this shortened season, every team's got a shot if they can get just a little bit of luck or a little bit of health, right? And the Jays are objectively better. When Vladimir Guerrero is playing first and Travis Shaw, who is an average to slightly above average third baseman, playing third as opposed to the opposite. Yeah, and it, it does make sense. And like, I just wasn't thinking of it that way. But it's, you know, now that I do think of it, it's, it's true. In the context of you want to remove all of the uncertainty out of this very short season because one big, long losing streak is, you know, is not something you can recover out of. Like, by the time you finish your losing streak, season's over. So if if you take out any liability you can, then yeah, you're maximizing, you know, you're you're trying to maximize certainty, even if it might in the long run hurt someone's development. So I get you I, uh, totally now, but just when I first heard it, I was like, oh, already? Okay, well, I mean, we all knew he's going to end up at first base eventually. Yeah, and I think it was just sort of <clears throat> the Jays have decided, you know, it's not third bases, maybe not. Just like it's why why keep trying to do it if it's not going to work? Just let him go play first first base and focus on his bat. You know, like he's got stuff to work on with his swing, which he was working on before anyway. So like, why have him trying to really hone down this position that he may never even be average at with all the work of the world? Let him just go be a solid player at first base. It also probably didn't help that he seems to have shown up heavier than he did in the actual spring training. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is now he has to learn first base. Um, from an athleticism position uh, perspective, uh, I get it's much easier than third. But from a, a positional, like a thinking perspective, um, he, he certainly hasn't lightened his workload as far as you know where he needs to be um, as as the play develops around the infield. And something he's not familiar with. I mean, that's there's, there's there's truth to that for sure. But it is just an easier position to play, despite what Ron Washington thinks in the movie Moneyball. It, I think you know, he, it's. it's as much as that's become a meme, I think why he describes it as incredibly hard is because it isn't just standing on the bag, catching the ball. And I think a lot of people go, oh, shove him at first base. Think about that. So he's trying to warn um, Hedeberg, uh, Hedeberg that, that you know it's not just going to be standing around, that you're going to have to put in uh, some effort to get it right, which I don't know how much effort it takes. I've never played first base. Yeah, I mean, he has been doing it. Apparently, he was he was apparently in uh, in the actual spring training. He was taking ground balls in the backfields and working on his footwork at first base. And the thing is, it's like the thing with Vlad. His de defensively, his hands have always been fine. 
and his arm has been very solid. It was just his range and especially his ability to come in on the ball. Things that aren't as big an issue at first base. So as long as he has the mental ability to, to handle the new position, which I have no reason to believe he doesn't, and especially just seeing what we saw in this silly inter-squad game, <laughs> then I think it'll be a, a positive for him just because while, yes, there are new things he has to learn, they're easier than trying to learn new things and trying to master the athleticism at the same time. Well, I figure if Adam Lind and Edwin Encarnacion can make meaningful contributions while playing first base and being moved there on the fly, then I believe that Vlad Guerrero Jr. can do so as well. That makes sense. All right. Over on the other side of the diamond, we mentioned Travis Shaw already and his defense. What about his uh, his understanding of COVID-19 quarantine protocols? <laughs> so, <laughs> this all, I think, I felt a little bad for Travis Shaw when this happened. Because, so what happened was uh, Scott Mitchell, to uh, the Blue Jays beat writer for TSN, put out a tweet saying that if the players violate the quarantine that they're they're in in the stadium, they face a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar fine and potential jail time. That now that's just like a nationwide law. It's the Quarantine Act. If you do that, that's what you're subject to. So, and he said. Like, you know, that if that was all summer. And then so Shaw tweeted out, quote, we were told two weeks, not all summer. All summer is a bit much. (laughs) I mean, I sympathize with Travis Shaw. Yes, all summer does seem like a bit much. But this is the train you're on, son. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I do understand, though, because the problem is that the play, the players were not told of anything that would happen into the season because there's no known idea of where the Blue Jays will be playing their season, which we'll get to in a bit more. But so they, all he knows is that they were required to quarantine during the summer camp, as they're calling it for two weeks, which is the Canadian law. You come in from the States, you quarantine for two weeks. So I do get being blindsided by it a bit. And then to his credit though, he did come out and say that his comments were – he went on a bit further too about just you know the idea of other players not having to quarantine on the road and everything like that. But he did come out and say that his comments were a bit tone deaf, that he wasn't really thinking about you know, how it affects everyone else and like you know, the, the views that people are having on the COVID stuff and that he never was suggesting that you know, the players were going to break the rules or like not follow the protocols that they were set. They just – he just was like sort of shocked at the idea of having to stay not not just social isolating but quarantining for the entire summer. Yeah, and I mean I feel bad for him, and I, I'm glad he did retract and he wasn't our candidate for a do-over because um, he he may very well have been had he not come out and he basically apologized for for you know not reading the room. But this is this goes along with we were joking about before the podcast. Just don't tweet. Like of all the places for Travis Shaw <laughs> <laughs> to. Um, to bring that up, I feel like walking into the manager's office with, the, you know, the tweet in on your phone going, uh, is this guy serious? Is it, is it really all summer? Because I kind of need to know if it's all summer. <laughs> Would have been a better move. Yeah, this is kind of one of those, like the, the nice thing about Twitter is you get things instantly, but also it means that people react to things instantly. And I think that's just kind of what happened here is like, 
he saw the tweet and then responded like just, you know, instantaneous, like, oh, my goodness. And then it started a negative series of things from him. And Randall Gritchick got involved a bit, too, just saying, like, the hardest thing was not so much that they have to be there, but they aren't, aren't allowed to have their family with them, too, which, you know, totally reasonable, right? Yeah. But, you know, it just it didn't. It, just, it didn't go well. But like you said, it's a good thing he came on and said, hey, I'm sorry. I wasn't really thinking about it. And that's all you can ask someone to do, right? Yeah. And I mean, because there's I think he, he realized that there's a lot of people for whom quarantining is a medical necessity, not a, um, you know, or being locked down is a medical necessity, not just an inconvenience. And it kind of insults those people inadvertently. But, you know, when you're like, man, this sucks for it's like, well, yeah, they know. <laughs> and there's lots of your yeah. fans who can't go outside right now. Yeah, and that's and that's the real problem, right? It's just that there are people who are like, well, why should you be getting special consideration here? Yeah, when yeah. we're all batting down the hatches. So hopefully that's over. Um, we can actually talk about now more baseball stuff, which is the Blue Jays have a rotation, which we have a question about this as well, um, but have a rotation that looks like it's more readyish than we expected to go deep into games. Yeah, so this is kind of, you know, if you paid attention to, you know, all of the discourse around this short season and this short training camp, a lot of it was, oh, all pitchers are only going to going two to three innings the first time out, and it was very reasonable to think that there would be shorter outings first time out. But it's not like the players were just staying idle. A lot of them were throwing, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. so you know, they, in, in these inter squad games that the Blue Jays are playing, as you're you're mentioning, like three of them are have already thrown. Well, well, Matt Schumacher threw 96 pitches yesterday, but you know a few of them have already thrown five, six innings of of inter squad. So they'll be ready to full, throw a full game when the season starts. It would be Ryu, Shoemaker, and I thought it was Rourke. And Rourke, yes, Tanner Rourke. Yeah, I mean, not that these guys are all Cy Young candidates. Uh, one of them we hope is, uh, but um, yeah, having having a rotation that's you know, three fifths um, ready to go is is. I mean, I don't know what other teams are doing. Maybe, maybe you know some other teams have been in the same situation where they've been keeping in touch with their pitchers and aggressive about it. In which case, it's not an advantage, but it's certainly not a disadvantage to have starters who can start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like if people are ready to go then it makes a big difference. And we got a question about some of the rotation quality stuff, so I'm not going to get into that too much. But, yeah, I mean, if they're if they're able to go deeper into games, then it will at least make them competitive. And that's really all you can ask for, especially if you've got all these young hitters who maybe could break out a bit. And I, I, I'm going to digress here a little bit. I, I'm just reminded of lately of all of the teams that – have had cold something somewhere in April or May where you hear about how the Dodgers were at 500 on April 30th or um, the Nationals were, you know, lost eight games in a row to start May or whatever, in any situation like that. And then that team has turned out to be the division winner in the 162-game season. The complexion of the season is going to be so wildly different. I don't know how we put the appropriate weight on a winning or losing streak anymore. Um, Well, I I think the appropriate weight on a losing streak will be very, very obvious because 
it's every game is so much more has so much larger an impact. So if you lose five, six games in a row, you're pretty much out of it. Yeah. So we're we're starting the season tied on tied at the All Star break. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I mean, give or take Ty- a week. <laughs> yeah, tied going into the trade deadline. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. That's going to be very strange when. You get to the actual trade deadline, obviously, which is, we've talked about, that's later. That's August 31st now. And, and again, this is assuming the season actually goes off, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Um, you're going to get to August 31st, and there's going to be some team that's like six games out, and they're like, yeah, we're screwed here. We're, we're selling. <laughs> People are, I, I, I think some fans are going to feel upset by that. And the reality is, if you're six games out with 30 to play, and there's five other teams in front of you, then probably you should be selling. Yeah, you definitely should. I guess it'll be sort of a uh, thing of like how much will teams be willing to buy too, just because you know they might be two games out, which normally be like, yeah, two games out of the trade deadline, but the trade deadline is a lot closer to the end of the season now. So, but if you think a guy can give you one win in those last four weeks, you know, in in terms of wins above replacement, it might really translate into one real win. <laughs> So weird. Yeah, so it's definitely a, a strange type of but, <laughs> season. But, but, but the starter you trade for can only give you five starts at most. Still, maybe four, five. Yeah, yeah, you could get five. Gonna be a weird one. All right, back to uh, the starting rotation, which does have a battle again for the fifth spot, as is required by law in all baseball camps. Yeah, so Trent Thornton seems to have locked down what was supposed to be the fifth spot, but then Chase Anderson strained his oblique, so now there's competition again. Yeah, and and again, yeah. a, a four-week injury is just basically, well, you're useless to us. Yeah, no, he's, they don't think he's going to be out that long, which also it's one of those things where it's better to happen now than three days into the season. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it seems like the real battle is going to be between – Ryan Brucky and Anthony K, even though everyone thinks it should be Nate Pearson. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's up to the Blue Jays, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, this is kind of one of the things that gets lost in all the Pearson stuff too, right? Yeah. There's doing, they're probably going to play some service times games. That, that just seems likely to happen, but you know, K and Barucky, are also major league ready pitchers who deserve a shot at the rotation. It's not like it should just automatically go to Nate Pearson. Yeah. And at some point you want to know if Anthony K and Ryan Barucki can do the job because Nate Pearson is going to be your number one or two starter in a couple of years, regardless here. Yeah. Unless things go very wrong. Yeah. And you know, like Ryan Barucki was not really in the mix in, in spring because he had an injury. But he's had, you know, because of all the time off, he's had time to heal and he's ready. And, you know, this is a guy who was a really solid pitcher for the Blue Jays two years ago and then he got hurt. So it's not like he should be dismissed. And it's not like he's going down to AAA to get real reps against real competition. Right, exactly. Yet another wrinkle that really wouldn't apply under any other circumstances. Yeah, it, uh, it makes things a little tougher. Can I segue to AAA now? Or rather, where the Blue Jays play AAA baseball, which is in Buffalo, which apparently maybe out of desperation is back in the mix for 
for a place to play. What is going on? Where are they playing? Nobody knows. It, it's this is one of those things. It's like, why does it take this long? I don't really understand why we're sitting here on July fifteenth. The season opens in ten days, and they don't know where they're playing. I mean, well, they know they're playing on the road for the first two series, so that that's not a problem. But two weeks from now, they have a home set, home two games against Washington. I just don't get why. Like it's like they're still waiting to get you know what they're still trying to hoping they can play in Toronto. How do they not know the answer to that yet? Like the circumstances haven't changed, so I don't understand why there's not an answer from the government. It's like unless the government's saying, well, if you do this, do this, do this, but there's no evidence that there's really anything they can do. It's either the players quarantine for the three days or they don't. So I I don't really understand the delay. But I mean, you okay? You you bring those players in directly to the stadium, and they are quarantined, and as are the opposing players. That's the plan. Is that even a possible plan? Are they letting? That would be the idea. Yes. And then those players take a charter out of the airport back to the United States. Correct. I'm surprised that the government would allow that, because I don't know how you make that airtight. Well, they haven't allowed it. Yeah. But they haven't disallowed it. That's the weird part. It's just like, just say yes or no so they, so they can move on with this. So they have – now the backup site is apparently Buffalo, even though Buffalo was not a viable stadium three weeks ago. <laughs> Necessity is the mother of uh, allowances and yeah, adaptation. Uh, uh, like the lights are not up to Major League Standard. The clubhouses are not up to major league standard for well for current major league standard rather for you know social distancing especially the visitors clubhouse which is part of the problem like right now at the dome they're using all four clubhouses and so, still putting team employees in masks in the stands yeah so I don't know how well Buffalo is going to work exactly but they just don't want to go to Dunedin for all the obvious reasons in the world. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, if the objective is to keep people healthy, it seems like going to the state in the midst of the worst outbreak in, in one of the worst outbreaks in the world, if not anything else, is is folly. Since you had a bunch of people test positive using that facility before it was the center of one of the worst outbreaks in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not getting, uh, it's not getting better. And the NBA announced Disney World was their site before. Anyway, that's a whole other issue. Um <laughs> Okay, so we're we're just we're still waiting. I mean, nine whole days. Well, what what more? You remember they used to make a big show out of bringing all the trucks up from Dunedin, like it was a big deal, and we'd have to schedule all this special convoy. And now it's like, well, in nine days we're going to be playing Major League Baseball somewhere. <laughs> it really is different, isn't it? <laughs> Seems like maybe some of this stuff was a little little theatrical uh, program for all of us fans which i mean i appreciate theatrics i'm not saying it was wrong but it is funny uh yeah, yeah. so okay baseball television and intra-squad games which people are so thirsty for this sport that how are we doing for ratings i wonder i'm gonna guess pretty well i watched <laughs> i didn't so the second one was it's actually i think it still might be going on as we're recording this i'm not sure but uh, I did not watch the second one, but the first one, the very first pitch of televised Blue Jays baseball, Boba Shett hit a home run. Damn right he did. 
<laughs> it's like, ah, oh, this is actually kind of fun to see. Um, now, an interesting yet inexplicable thing happened. The Blue Jays inter-squad teams traded starting pitchers today. Why, why was that even a thing? I assume it was just because they wanted some uh, certain pitchers to face certain hitters. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, as much as they like the players have bets on the line, there's money on the line. It's still mostly about development and getting ready for the season. So, I, I yeah, I just assumed that they wanted K to face someone different, or I, I'm not sure exactly how it played out, but uh, that's got to be the reason. But it's yeah, still, you know, it, it, go ahead. They just straight swapped starters, and it's like, well, there's some some convoluted logic there I've missed, and that was what I missed. <laughs> Yeah, like my guess would be that maybe they wanted uh, Jordan Romano actually to face the top of the the Bo Bichette lineup, mm-hmm. so he would get Bichette and Gurriel, right. two good right good right handed hitters, which is what his role will likely be when the season starts. So the uh, that's just my assumption. Obviously, I don't know because they didn't say this out loud, but that would make sense. So fire whoever wrote up the initial lineup cards. <laughs> they should have done that in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big empty stadium with a couple dozen guys kind of milling around. Does it? It still feels like baseball, though. It did actually. I mean, it, it, look, the fans are a big part of baseball, and it was weird seeing empty stadiums and the crowd noise that they piped in was oddly timed and kind of silly. But still, watching the game be played it felt like watching a baseball game felt like watching a baseball game played in Miami. So, you know, (laughs) I know we were going to get some shade thrown somewhere about small crowd size. And that's the one we got. So thank you, Josh, for bringing that home. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so I know it was fun. And like, you know, it was nice to see Anthony Alford take Matt Shoemaker deep. You know, obviously you don't want to see your own players give up bombs, but Anthony Alford, but you have no choice. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Reese McGuire hit a home run, a grand slam and, you know, Forrest Walsh, you know, like seeing him steal a bases, seeing Shoemaker splitter diving. And it was just, it was baseball. And for those of us who've just really missed baseball, it was nice to see it, even if it was totally meaningless and really silly. Fair enough. So, oh, and go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to segue out of here. Okay, then yeah, one more thing. So we're talking about Vlad at first base. He actually looked really good there. He now there was, as you mentioned, there's still some things that are new to him. Like he, there was a pop up, and a foul pop up, and he was running and looking at the catcher instead of calling the catcher off. Mm. And made the play. Now, granted, that's the same thing at third. So I don't know why that confused him so much. But maybe it's just got in his own head a little bit. But he made a diving play off a hard line drive, hard ground ball. And he, but more the one that made me a little more optimistic because, you know, a diving play is a diving play whether you're at third or at first. Mm-hmm. There was this really cool double play that the Jays turned. They had a, a right-handed batter shift on, and Kevin Biggio was playing second, but on the short stop side of second. Mm-hmm. And he had to backhand a ball. So Santiago Espinal, who was playing short but, like, shaded over, ran across, and Biggio flipped in the ball <laughs> – and Espinal ran and jumped and touched the base and jumped and threw to first. And Vladdy's stretching instincts were dead on. A lot of rookie people playing the position stretch before the throw 
and that limits their range to catch a throw. And he didn't do that. So footwork practice, maybe it's uh, it's getting ingrained. That's what we hope. Uh, yeah. We hope that we are going to answer all of your very serious baseball questions in just a few seconds. So uh, we're going to take a deep breath and then we're going to come back with those from the Twitter feed in a sec. And we are back. And as promised, one deep breath later. Precisely one deep breath. I swear I wouldn't cheat on you at all. Well, maybe a little <laughs> bit. Uh, and, I mean, if we're back, then that means it's time to answer your burning questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right, we're going to launch it off with Mike at GoSendsGo101. Mike, good to be answering you again, as always. Um, still not sure that I, I, I picture you looking like, is that Daniel Alfredson on his? Uh... Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can only assume that's what you actually look like by now. Why are the first baseman standing so far away from the bag when holding a runner on? I haven't seen this before. Yeah, so the Jays have been trying out this new thing for their right-handed throwing first baseman, where instead of holding the runner on by standing on the base, there are a couple steps in toward the field. So they were sort of, they were talking about this on the broadcast that the idea sounded like it was twofold. One, it gives them more range because they're not starting on the base, mm -hmm. but also it allows them, if the pickoff throw goes to their glove side, it's easier to sweep with your left hand than try to come across your body in a tag. Hmm. So, a lot, so they tag backwards based on the traditional way. So it's an interesting idea. I, I've never seen it before, but I'd love to see how it works because technically it should work better. So do they spin – do they do they tag across their body or do they spin counterclockwise? Well, so I the mean, idea would be that they spin counterclockwise. Oh. And, and, and go back down to the bag towards the tag. Now, the one time that Vladdy did it, he did it the other way because the throw was under that side of his body. So – Right. It, the interesting so in this is one of those things where in principle it makes total sense because it is faster to go that way and it gives you more range. The problem, which I could see coming up, which is exactly what happened on this one, is that when a pitcher wheels the throw to first, he's going to throw it at your body. Yep, and he's really going to like as a pitcher mentally, I can imagine throwing out into basically you're throwing it towards foul territory, right? If you're throwing to the, the proper spot now. Correct. Yeah. And it's just you're trained for non weirdo Blue Jays positioning to throw it to the guy's outside knee. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I'm really interested to see how it works, though, because it should work. And also, how often are you going to pick guys off anyway? So I'm OK with the idea of getting a little extra range out of the first baseman. That's probably more important. That was extra step or two. Uh, Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Mass. Uh, Matt asks, do you have any questions to ask us instead? Do you have Why any do you waste time listening to us talk about baseball? <laughs> uh, my question is, does it seem real to you, folks? That's a much better question. You should definitely waste time listening to us talk about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a given. It's just, just going to happen. Why you do it is immaterial. Uh, yeah, does it seem like a like real? Does the whole thing seem real, or does the whole thing seem like some weird fever dream ever since March? 
when everybody had to yeah, go I've home got, Florida. I, I, I've got another question too. Like that's a good one. And is your excitement level for nine days from now, it's not 10, comparable to a real baseball opening day? Mm. These are the burning questions on the minds of the Artificial Turf Wars crew. Juco James at Juco James uh, says, Ryu has been a top five MLB kind of pitcher in the first half of seasons. Pearson could be an elite performer and Shoemaker could be solid. With the, quote, army, unquote, of decent to good available for remaining starts, tell me why I am crazy to be way above consensus on Jays pitching for 60 games. I actually don't think it is crazy because one of the biggest issues with the Jays rotation, especially two of the guys, Hyunjin Ryu and Matt Shoemaker, is that you just can't count on them to pitch 160, 170, 180 innings. I mean, Ryu's done it. Shoemaker has not. But they both have injury issues. But when there are fewer games, like if they can last for a couple months, they have the talent to be much better than their reputation. Well, at least especially in Shoemaker's case, much more better than his reputation would be as a pitcher, his value per se. So I think there's definitely a reason to be optimistic on the Jays pitching. Now, they're not great, right? It's not they're not one of these teams that's going to be rolling out four number two starters, but they definitely should be better than, you know, just like Ryu and then hoping for rain kind of thing, which some people seem to be perceiving this rotation to be. I'm on board for whatever four man rotation. Let it rip. It's only 60 games. How about how much damage could you do? <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Bauer said he wants to throw it four days. They might actually let him do it. That's still to be determined. So that'd be interesting. Okay. So next question from Brian a at BJ Arsenal 84. According to Baseball Reference, Russ Adams has a career wins above replacement of zero. He says Wick, but he meant to say which player surprises you that they don't have a higher war than they do, or has or has one higher than expected that would surprise people. Okay, so I'm going to go with two players historically. One is um, Joe Carter, and I'm going to be for you for all of it, all of that he gets in the press of the mainstream media. The fact that he has 17 career wins above replacement. Um, is surprisingly low. <laughs> Unless you're a stat head and, and you know that Joe Carter is the poster boy for uh, not developing wins above replacement. But basically, he's he's less than a two-win-per-year player, um, despite playing regular, everyday baseball for years and years and years. But more importantly, one one win above replacement that's higher than, that would surprise people, Tony Phillips. <laughs> Tony Phillips played everywhere, literally, and has 46.6 career wins above replacement, which is borderline Hall of Fame territory. And he never had a steady defensive position. Yeah, he was a very underrated player because of that, exactly what you're talking about. I guess for me, the answer is probably Roberto Alomar from among, among Blue Jays players. But that's probably just because I think that war is stupid for older players. Because like Roberto Alomar scores... By Fangraphs war, minus what is it? Minus seventeen point nine for defense, and that's because the defensive zone stat total zone is it just it's useless. But that's what they have to go off because that's all they have. So the idea that Roberto Almar was a negative defender, I just there's no chance I can buy it. Yeah, even if you bought into the fact that he was only an average defender, if you took his if, yeah yeah his defense out of the question, he's still a unbelievable player 
Right. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like maybe he wasn't the all world superstar second baseman that he thought that we thought he was. I still lean to the fact that he was that. Yeah, because total zone is based on chances, right? He played on artificial turf that was made of cement. So you're <laughs> there, more balls are going to get by you than the average second baseman. Just because they're going to be bouncing higher and faster. So was San Diego I don't know, still I, turf at the time? I don't know, but he was only San, he wasn't in San Diego for very long. No, um, I'm just yeah. So I don't know. I, I just I just don't buy it. Indeed. Uh, and our last question from Zahir at Zeroid, which I think is the burning question for everyone: scarf, washable mask, or disposable mask? I use washable masks. I also use washable mask, homemade washable mask from from the wife and daughter when they were all unable to go to work. Um, I have both to choose from penguin fabric or owl fabric so it, it can be a difficult day yep and i will mine were made by leslie at leslie underscore mac who i think her current name is leslie misses the flight deck sorry leslie underscore nope not leslie underscore mac um so thank you very much leslie that was very nice of you all right uh on we soldier to the land do you think we should start with the land of the gold star Let's do it. All right. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. We are equal opportunity gold star hander-outers around here. We, we're never letting a previous bias factor in, do we? No, we do not. We've given one to, to Trevor Bauer before. <laughs> yeah, And we've exactly. given it to MLB before, so, you know. And now we're going to give one to Logan Morrison. Yeah, Line it's it just up. really funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I was talking about this in the earlier part of the show, but Logan Morrison, when asked about playing with no fans fans in the stands, quote, for me, it's not going to be that difficult. I played for the race in the Marlins. <laughs> oh, just tremendous shade. Uh, I liked Lomo for a while and then he, he got a bit dumb. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's 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 clear when when people are not taking themselves too seriously is is probably the best time. Period. For them to, uh, well, do anything. Make a comment, tweet, etc., etc. Remember, folks, yep. never tweet. Now, this wasn't a tweet. He was asked a question by a reporter. See? He played it properly. <laughs> it was responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't have a stinger for this one. Uh, are, are we doing a do-over on this one? I don't know. You can just go with non-do. It's not really a do-over. It's... Go ahead. You tee it up the way you want it. Aubrey Huff is a well-known fool. Uh, I think fool is probably the most generous word I can use for him. Yeah, it's definitely not scathing enough. But continue. No. Uh, he's, he's shown some very uh, close-minded and racist tendencies on Twitter. And he was tweeting. And Marcus Stroman got into it about how, you know, he was being racist and didn't like black people on Twitter. Uh, specifically saying that. Uh, and then... Instead of addressing the issue at hand, Aubrey Huff went back at him with an occasion on which Marcus Stroman apparently threw 30 minor leaguers out of Marcus's weight room so that he could jump rope, um, you know, and talked about how and Huff brought that up as an example of how lousy a teammate Marcus was. And then, just like the cherry on top, Randall Grichuk liked the tweet. Yeah, that was... Definitely the first mistake. <laughs> I don't. 
I don't know what he was hoping to accomplish by liking this tweet. I mean, so Stroman got alerted to the fact that Gritchick liked the tweet. Stroman didn't see it himself. Someone tweeted about it and then Stroman, you know, searches his name on Twitter and saw it. Um, so someone, the person who put it out before was saying that uh, Gritchick was liking the tweet because Stroman had criticized Gritchick in the media before. And, and Gritchick's response was, I did not like this tweet because Stro liked tweets bashing me last year. This is nothing personal. I liked it because it's true. It's a known story around players in the J system. And then, oh boy. It did not get good. Marcus Stroman, I'm not going to read all the tweets out because people can find them themselves. Uh, Stroman called out Gritchick for you know, talking behind his back and then called Gritchick a racist. I mean, he's, he basically he said that, you know, like Stroman, that uh, Gritchick was having the same kind of like was getting on uh, Anders Tim Anderson with the with the White Sox for his home run last year, which is true. Gritchick called it like not playing the ball baseball the right way, and and now this and so Stroman saying they've sh- you've you've shown Canada your true colors and called him a, he, without calling him a racist he called him a racist, and then it got even worse. Like a former player named what is his name? I have it here. Uh, Brett Wright confirmed what Huff said about the weight room thing. So just, everyone just comes out this looking bad. Well, they, they all look like they're about 11 years old and have no self-control whatsoever. Yeah. Like why Richard should know better than to engage with Aubrey Huff, who's a world-class piece of garbage. And the rest of them should know better than to do this. On Like, just don't do this. <laughs> well, yeah. Marcus Stroman should know better than to attempt to even – I mean, he's not going to convince Aubrey Huff of anything, and he's not going to let anybody know anything new about Aubrey Huff. We all know Aubrey Huff has incredibly lousy moral and ethical perspectives. Stroman's not drawing attention to that. All he's doing is amplifying Aubrey Huff, which now we're doing. Um, we will not be linking to the tweets in the description to the video. <laughs> no. So, you know. uh, yeah, let's not mix it up, guys. Let's have a sober second thought. And uh, the theme of this episode never tweet yeah and like look i understand that players are going to want to air grievances and whatever but like don't go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth like aubrey huff is you know he's inactive like this is exactly what he wants you to do and you know gritchick and stroman they just look both look bad they both look terrible in this and it's just uh, no one uh, never tweet. nobody <laughs> wins nobody uh, all right, so uh, to go along with uh, no winners, we have one more random thing. I, I'm going to make it my final thought, I guess, is what it comes All right, to. you go first. Uh, the Blue Jay MLB will be, as a requirement from the league, piping in fake crowd noise on the speaker systems of, uh, of stadiums throughout the league. It's a requirement from the league, and... Not only that, but the crowd noise is being provided from this year's edition of MLB The Show, which is some kind of Inception BS that I don't even understand. They're bringing the fake crowd from the fake game representing the real game that doesn't have any real crowds to make it seem like there's a real crowd at the real game. I got that right? It's very meta. (laughs) Everyone is clamoring for Matt Viscurgeon's uh, canned sound bites to be included as part of the actual broadcast now, and I can't see that going Santa badly. Maria. <laughs> He's uh, trying to break out of a slump after the trip north. 
which apparently he will even say during Miami Marlins games um, on MLB The Show, seemingly unaware eh. that they are two hours south of the spring training home of the Marlins. Oh, that's pretty funny. Um, yeah. I feel like repetitive, context, insensitive commentary is what we need to make this this entire baseball season just perfectly absurd. What do you have for a final thought, sir? So we finally know that uh, Austin Martin signing bonus. A dollar. He signed officially. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he signed officially for $7,825. Nice. Uh, which is the largest bonus the Blue Jays have ever given out. You know, Inflation. It's kind of a, high draft it's pick. A, right. It's a nothing stat because the second largest bonus was the one they gave out last year. So it's so like <laughs> – <laughs> So literally, um, inflation and the high draft pick. Yeah. So, but he's officially in camp, and he's he's in the bubble now. He's in Toronto, and he's been working out at third base, which is interesting. I mean, you know, like I've to me, I always thought, and still somewhat think that center field is where he might end up long term. But Vlad has moved over to first, and Travis Shaw, despite what he is, is not a long term piece. So, if Martin is so close to being big league ready. Maybe he is the third baseman next year. Non-serious question. If you were named Austin Martin and got a $7 million signing bonus, would you purchase for yourself an Aston Martin? Of course. <laughs> well, actually, no, no, I wouldn't. I would go to Aston Martin and say, look, it's obvious what needs to happen. Here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Howard Johnson never got the sponsorship. I don't know if, if if unknown player Austin Martin is going to get it. Fair point. Well, that's what you try first. And if they say no, <laughs> screw off. It's like, okay, fine. I've got lots of money. I'll buy one. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, on that note, I think we can absolutely end it. So uh, that is to say that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this has been episode number 176 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we'll talk at you soon. <laughs>